Something that I've really been enjoying over the last several weeks is meeting with a group of friends from our church and reading through the book, Gentle and Lowly. And so we meet on Thursdays for lunch and we read and then we come and we, we talk about it and as iron sharpens iron, so one brother is sharpening another and uh, these are all good friends. We, we talk together about what we've read and then uh, I really enjoy maybe even most of all us sharing things that are really going on in our lives personally, and then being able to, to pray for one another. Uh, but this last week, I was really struck with one of the chapters. It's the chapter, Jesus as Intercessor. Now, that's, a, that's taught in the book of Hebrews. I've read it so many times, I've, I've even preached it. Uh, but it. But it hit me anew this last week that Jesus is praying for me. Right now, as I'm speaking to you, Jesus is praying for me. Right now, as you're listening to me, Jesus is praying for you. When you are in, in the midst of conflict in your home, if you're married, and all of us experience conflict, Jesus is praying for you. One of the things he's praying for you, and one of the things I know that he's praying for me when Jalen and I have conflict He's praying that we choose our words wisely, that we don't allow our words to damage our relationship, but our words would, would enhance and build up our relationship. Because our words are, are very much like a thermostat. Now, there's a difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. You're aware of that. A thermometer tells you what the temperature in your home is. A thermostat regulates the temperature in your home. If you were gone on a trip during the winter, you might set your thermostat at 62 degrees. So when you get home and you look at your thermometer, it would say 62 degrees. You, you might like it to be 74 degrees in your home or 78 degrees or like me in the winter, 86 degrees. And you might like it to be very warm in the winter in your home. It doesn't go from 62 to 80 degrees just like that. It, it increases incrementally. But just like you can walk into a home and if, if the heat isn't on and it's the winter and you can sense a chill in the air... Uh, the same is true in relationships in a home or relationships between friends. Our words can be used to enhance the environment of our lives or our words can be used to affect our lives and the lives of those that we love detrimentally. Now, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about changing your world one word at a time. And I'm going to do it in a way where I, I read a lot of Scripture but only make limited comments. I hear the words that you're thinking, praise God, it's about time. And so it's the, it's the words, it's the, it's the amount of words, it's the particular people I'm quoting that, that really, I think, bring about the impact of what I'm wanting to say today. Because a lot of us will find our marriage relationship where it is because of the words that we've used. It may not even be in our marriage relationship. It may be in the relationship we have with our children. Our words can really be used by God to enhance and build a relationship or to 
deteriorate a one strong relationship. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Our words are the fruit of our lives. That is, out of the mouth comes that which fills the heart. Fruit is that which is visible. So you can tell that an apple tree is an apple tree and that it has, that it has apple life in it because it produces apples. Now, the apple tree may say to you, I'm an orange tree, and you know that that's not true. It may want to be an orange tree, but it's an apple tree, and the evidence is the fruit that it bears. And the same is true in our lives. Our words are a reflection of our heart, particularly when they're spoken in our unguarded moments. What we say in our unguarded moments is who we really are. It's one thing for me to script what I'm, what I'm going to say or, or, or for you to think ahead about maybe making a marriage proposal. Uh, you think it about it, you work it out in your mind, you, you've scripted it out, and, and there's nothing actually wrong with that because you want to say the right thing in the right way in important moments. But in those unguarded moments, what comes out of our mouth, it, mouths is who we really are. And Jesus teaches us that our words are a reflection of our heart. And so we need to be very careful that we have the right heart if we want to say the right words and we want there to be the right atmosphere in our homes. James put it this way, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature person, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, you're familiar with this passage. I use it often because the Lord uses it often in me. And what I'm about to read to you is how James uses three images of the tongue in a, in a secular kind of way. In fact, he's going to say the tongue is like a bit that you put in the mouth of a horse. The tongue is like a rudder that controls a ship. And, and the tongue is like a spark that can bring about a great fire. In all of these, that which controls is very small, like the bit is smaller than the horse, the rudder is smaller than the, the rudder is smaller than the ship, and the spark is definitely smaller than the fire. So listen to the way that James puts it. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. So the rider on the back of a horse, the horse is much larger than the rider, the bit is much smaller than the horse, and yet the rider using the bit controls where this massive animal goes. If, if he wants it to go to the right, he pulls it, the reins in one way. If he wants it to go to the left, he pulls the reins in the other way. He says this, we direct their entire body. Our lives to some degree are determined by our words. Now, you can always push that way too far, something like the health, wealth, 
gospel, the heresy, name it, claim it. Well, we can let heretics use the Bible the wrong way if, they, if that's the way they're going to use it, but let's use it the right way. And the right way to understand what he is saying is to a great degree, our lives are determined by the choices we make about the words that we use. We direct the entire body. It doesn't make us rich or poor. It won't give us health or sickness necessarily, but it will give an atmosphere to our home and to our life that is conducive to health, spiritual health, and family happiness. He says in verse 4, look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So the pilot determines where he wants the ship to go by using the rudder. The pilot is smaller than the vessel. The rudder is smaller than the ship, but the pilot determines where the ship will go. It's wherever he wants it to go, and the same is true of us. We are where we are in our marriages, in our relationship to our children, in relationships to friends and family members to some degree... We are where we want it to be because we've chosen to use the words that we've chosen or we failed to use the words that we ought to use. So he goes on to say, so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members is that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire, now listen to this, the course of our life. And is set on fire by hell. So for some of us, our marriage, our, our family life is more like hell than heaven. And it's not quite as simple as I'm making it, but that's a part of it, isn't it? That's a, that's in a very essential part of it. That if I want the temperature of my home to be acclimating to a, to a healthy environment, then I'm going to speak properly to Jay Lynn. I don't always do that. And when I don't, I apologize or I ought to apologize because I'm deciding in that moment which way do I want the health of my family to be, my relationship with my wife to go. Do I, do I want it to increase in the right way or do I want there to be a diminishing love between us? So James teaches us that our words have the power to direct or redirect our lives. Now, you don't go from 60 to 80 degrees without going degree by degree. But you don't get headed in the right direction until you make the decision that you want to go in the right direction. Paul put it this way, the Apostle Paul. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God at the moment of conversion. That's why we can never lose our salvation. We're baptized in the Spirit. That means the Spirit indwells us. But not every believer is filled with the Spirit of God. 
But when we are filled with the Spirit of God, one way that it's evident is the way that we speak to one another. Now, we don't necessarily go around singing to one another. He says speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He means we, we encourage and we build up. It doesn't mean that we don't confront. It doesn't mean that we don't have difficult conversations. But we have them in the right tone, in the right tenor, in the, with the right words. But when we're not filled with the Spirit, then we will not be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We may not be speaking to one another at all. And that's not healthy. In fact, that's abnormal. It's detrimental. It's counterproductive to silence one another out. It, it says more about us than it does maybe about our partner. Solomon had quite a bit to say about, about speech. In fact, you might do something that I've done on numerous occasions. That is, on the first day of every month, I will often pick a proverb. I will read Proverbs 1, and I'll look for a topic, like on the tongue or speech. And I'll write down every time I find that in Proverbs 1, that on the second, I read Proverbs 2, and the third, and so forth. There's 31 Proverbs. There's many, uh, many times, there's at least uh, 30 days in every month, but one. And you can make your way through the book of Proverbs and gain a lot of wisdom from the book. But this is what Solomon said. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's Proverbs 12, 18. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. That is, a marriage dies a slow death, but the death often begins with the words that we use. Proverbs 16, verse 24 says this, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 21, 23 puts it this way, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. I can tell you that one's true. Proverbs 15, 23, A man has joy in an apt answer. And how delightful is a timely word. Proverbs 15.30 puts it this way. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. That is encouragement is a beautiful expression of caring. Encouragement is a beautiful expression of love. It will make your kids fat in the right way. It will give them a healthy soul. Now, I don't know about you. My inclination is to point out, or at least it was, I'm sure, more often than not, to point out the foibles and the faults of my kids more than to encourage them. It's just a part of my natural inclination, which is not a healthy inclination. It's not a good thing. I, I'm not extolling that. And so it had to be that I would, I would make notes to myself, and I would have to sometimes write a card and put it in my pocket, look for good things to say to your kids today. Jalen was saying to me just the other day, we need to make sure that we find encouraging words to say to our grown kids as often as we can. Sometimes when we're together, it's just mass chaos. I mean, you've got uh, six grandchildren, number seven's on the, on, the, on the way, maybe today, maybe 
uh, hopefully next week. She's already late in, in getting here. And so you can imagine, I mean, it's just, it's just like absolute chaos. It's a lot of fun. As soon as they walk out the door, we go get our pajamas on and go to bed at 6.30. It's just, it's a blast. But she was saying, we've got to be more intentional and look for those opportunities because we we love them, we admire our grown children, and, and we need to speak words of encouragement to them because encouragement is a form of, of caring. And so Solomon had so much to say. He wants us to use our words in a way that build people up. Now, there has to be tough conversations. There has to be rebukes. There have to be pointed conversations from time to time. But I can tell you, most of the time, because of indwelling sin, our words are spoken too quickly. And often our words are spoken too harshly. We shouldn't speak to others in a way that we don't want to be spoken to, and especially to our children. And that's very hard. I, I, I admit I, I failed at it often. Our children shouldn't be able to speak to us like they're our peers, but we shouldn't speak derogatorily or in a denigrating way to our children. We should speak to them generally in the way that we want them to speak to us. Now, it's easy, though, for, the, for our words to be disingenuous if we're not careful and for our words to mask who we really are. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, you can say the right things. You can pray the sinner's prayer and not be converted. You can say the sinner's prayer and walk an aisle and be baptized and not be saved. A saved life is a changed life. Now, we change just a little bit at a time. That is, it's two steps forward, one step back. But the person who knows what God wants them to do and continually says no to it may very well one day hear, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness is living contrary to the way that God wants you to live. To practice, it means you enjoy it. It's habitual. It's regular. It's a, it's a part of the pattern. It's, the, it's a part of the fabric of your life when you practice something. If you love piano, you practice piano. If you love baseball, you practice baseball. You practice baseball because you love baseball. You throw the baseball day in and day out because you love baseball. You practice it because it's who you are. It's what you enjoy. And, and the same is true with those who practice lawlessness. There are some of you here today that that's true of. I don't know who you are, but you may know who you are, and, and God knows definitely who you are. Say, so, well, pastor, is there any hope for somebody who's said all the right things but lived in all the wrong ways? There absolutely is. Listen to what Paul writes. 
But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. It doesn't mean that life won't be hard. It doesn't mean that there might not be circumstances in life that are painful, but we will not be disappointed in him. Notice if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Remember, out of the mouth comes that which fills the heart. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, he says. For with the heart, a person believes, and with the mouth, they confess. You might wonder, well, Pastor, what in the world does this have to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, it's got a lot to do with the Lord's Supper. Because I don't know about you, but at 62 years of age, I'm still trying to gain control of my mouth. Uh, I'm I'm still trying to be more and more sanctified in what I say and how I say it and, and when I say it. But I need help. I need God's help. And that's what the Lord's Supper is in part. It's a means of grace. Just like reading the Bible strengthens us. Just like gathering together congregationally and singing strengthens us. Just like when I get with that small group of friends on Thursday and we share with one another and pray for each other, that strengthens me spiritually. The Lord's Supper does the same. Of course, it reminds me that Jesus died for me in the past, and it reminds me that Jesus is coming again in the future, but it, but it strengthens me and it gives me resolve. And I need resolve to speak well, kindly to the people that I love and to the people I don't love. So I'm going to ask you if you'll take, take this little wafer And I'm going to ask you to do this for me. I'm going to ask you as you chew it, I want you to pray, God, help me speak in ways that honor you to those closest to me. Would you take and eat? If you'll take the the cup. The cup is to remind us that if Jesus has forgiven us of all our sins... Well, why do we continually confess our sins if we've been forgiven of our sins? Because it it hinders the communion between us. John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wrote that to Christians, not to non-Christians. Because my sin causes there to be an interruption in communication and, and communion and fellowship with the Lord. But the same thing happens between me and my wife or me and my kids or me and you from time to time. And by by drinking this, in one sense, we're saying, I'm going to make right, I'm going to make right the relationships I've made wrong. And God's grace is in this cup to help us do it. Take and drink. Our Father in heaven, we thank you 
We thank you that your word is more practical than we could ever imagine. That it comes from the, tri- the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it speaks to us at our, our points of need. Thank you for it. Father, thank you for the reminder of your assistance to us as you help us, even as we take the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. Now, as we conclude our service in song, I pray that our singing would indeed be worship. In Jesus' name, amen.